Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Good afternoon. My name is Tom Cohen, partner in the Communications Practice Group of Kelly Dry and Warren. I am joined by my colleagues, Hank Kelly and Mike Dover, and we're here to give you this afternoon a first take on the FCC's open meeting items that were addressed today, just this morning, uh, July 14th. There are three main items we'll be talking about. Uh, The report and order and second further notice of proposed rulemaking on enhanced competition incentive program for wireless radio services. And I'll be handling that. Uh, Hank's going to handle the further notice of proposed rulemaking, updating the intercarrier compensation regime to eliminate access arbitrage. And then Mike will handle the notice of inquiry on supporting survivors of domestic and sexual violence. We are now 18 months into the tenure of a Democratic chair, Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel. We're also 18 months into the lack of a Democratic majority. That has caused the FCC to table some major items we all expected it to deal with, yet it moves forward. Uh, It has uh, shown the capability for the two Democrats and two Republicans to get along and to move items forward. And one of those items uh, that stems from the Mobile Now legislation is the Enhanced Competition Incentive Program for Wireless Radio Services. And the FCC has a a long history of permitting uh, spectrum licensees to disaggregate, partition, or lease spectrum. This is the most recent incarnation of that. As I said, it stems from the Mobile Now legislation. And the idea is to maximize use of this limited resource spectrum and particularly to get it into the hands of multiple players in more rural areas or into the hands of smaller carriers. And that, in essence, is what this proceeding is about. The FCC is trying to create incentives for spectrum licensees to disaggregate, partition, or lease their spectrum particularly in rural areas, so that we maximize use of it and get those services out to those communities. This is a report and order. There are rules attached to the uh, order. The order is not out yet, but we saw the draft several weeks ago and have a good sense of those rules. They haven't changed much from our perspective, uh, looking at the record over the past several weeks of parties that have come in and made ex parte presentations. And the overall scheme 
that the FCC is creating is that current licensees can partition, disaggregate, or lease their spectrum, minimum of 50% of the spectrum from a wireless radio service, and give that out to an unaffiliated eligible entity through a type of assignment or long-term lease with minimum geographic thresholds. Now, there are two prongs in how they can give it out. They can give it to small carriers or tribal nations and have them use that spectrum. In the alternative, they can give it out in rural-focused areas. So there are two prongs. They each come with different rules on how the spectrum is to be given out. What the licensee gets as a benefit from this is a five-year license term extension, a one-year extension of construction benefits, and for rural focused transactions, substitution of the assignee's coverage area for the enhanced programs qualifying geographic area. Of course, there are waste, fraud, and abuse protections. There are penalties as well. All in this scheme, This, in, the, in essence, the FCC is trying to create sort of a business plan, a balance I've seen some comments out there uh, saying that, you know, the FCC's balance may work, but not to a significant extent. In other words, this looks like a good program or a good start to the program. We'll see how it's going to be used. And then the FCC may come back as they get experience and rejigger it to meet the objectives in the mobile now legislation of, again, maximizing use of spectrum and putting it into the hands of people who will deliver services in smaller communities, rural areas. This proceeding also has a further notice of proposed rulemaking to look at other aspects of the enhanced competition incentive scheme to see if there are other ways to refine it. Uh, and then finally, and, and significantly, it contains new rules for spectrum reaggregation, where it has already been disaggregated. And the FCC, as I said, sets out new rules for spectrum uh, reaggregation by licensees. A licensee can apply to reaggregate multiple licenses. They all must be of the same radio service and have the same market and channel block. Each license must be re-aggregated in, in that all have had to have met their applicable performance requirements. They must have been renewed for at least one license term since those applicable performance requirements were met. And they licensees must not have violated commission's permanent discontinuance rules. So that also is a significant element of this decision today. And so with that, Hank, let me turn it over to you to talk about new further notice of proposed rulemaking on access arbitrage. Great. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. And I'll, I'll note that, and, and I'll go through and describe kind of what the commission's analysis was today with respect to the further notice of proposed rulemaking. But to your point about 
the cooperation, at least with respect to some of these issues among the commissioners that was certainly present today on this issue. Uh, each of the commissioners spoke very much in favor of, of this further notice of proposed rulemaking that really does try to get at some, some unique issues with the access arbitrage issues and access stimulation. But they were all very, I would say, cooperative with each other and all, all on the same page when it, came, when it came to this further notice. So what the FCC has done is to try to update and provide some additional context and some additional regulation with respect to its access uh, stimulation uh, regulations. In this further notice of proposed rulemaking, the FCC is proposing to, to modify the access stimulation rules to address calls that are terminated to internet protocol enabled service providers or IPES providers. Now these are internet protocol enabled service providers that have numbering authority from the FCC. So they can actually go out and get their own phone numbers. They don't need a local exchange carrier to, to sell them those phone numbers as part of a local exchange service. And, and the reason that the FCC is doing this is because there's been some carriers in the market that are, rather than inserting a, you'll have a tandem provider, an inter intermediate access provider, historically would, would deliver a call to a local exchange carrier who would then have end user customers. And the access stimulation rules were really written to prevent local exchange carriers from engaging in access stimulation, which I'll define in a little bit. But these rules are trying to uh, address a situation that's popped up in the market uh, where instead of having an, a local exchange carrier between the tandem provider and the end user customer, the the, there will be an IPES provider. And the FCC has, has found that there are companies out there that are trying to bypass the access stimulation rules by instead of having a local exchange carrier between the tandem provider and the end user, they would insert an IPES provider and then claim that the access stimulation rules don't apply because there's no actual local exchange carrier in the middle of that, that call flow. And so what the FCC is trying to do is to, is to sort of fill that gap or, or plug that hole uh, that they see in, in the market. Um, under the proposed changes, if calls from an intermediate access provider or a terminating tandem for terminating tandem services get terminated to an IPES provider that exceed the access stimulating ratios of the, that, that were established in, in, in 2011 and 2019, or 2011 and modified in 2019, then the IPES provider will be deemed an access stimulator. Now, in that situation, the FCC is proposing, as part of this further notice of proposed rulemaking, that intermediate access providers, where they, where they terminate calls to an, an IPES provider that has a terminating to originating ratio, and I'll get to that in a second, it, that exceeds the access stimulating rules, then uh, that terminating the intermediate provider nor the IPES provider can, can bill and collect from the IXCs that are delivering that traffic to, to the network. Uh, let me go back a little bit. I've said I'm going to go back and, and talk a little bit about what the history was and describe what the access stimulations are. There have been uh, historical issues involving a bunch of carriers that are primarily terminating telephone calls to customers that are or were lo located in rural territories. 
in these rural areas, there might be high terminating switch to access charges. There was an arbitrage opportunity where local exchange carriers would give away free telephone service, supposedly in a rural area. And then there would generate these customers, these end user customers would generate numerous inbound terminating calls to their telephone numbers. These would be like conference calling services. And the FCC found that that was an improper arbitrage opportunity because when you have so much terminating traffic, all the money is really just being um, not created by the end user customer, the revenue, but it's really being generated by, by switched access charges. And that was not the intent of the switched access rules. So in 2011, the FCC adopted the access stimulation rules. And the rule provides that where there's a local exchange carrier that has a revenue sharing agreement, and that's got a definition, and the terminating to originating ratio exceeds uh, three to one, or there's more than 100% growth in the originating or terminating switched access minutes of use in a month compared to the same preceding, the same month in the preceding year, then that local exchange carrier would be an access stimulation provider. And that LEC, that local exchange carrier, could not collect at that point of uh, uh, originating or terminating switched access charges. The FCC updated those rules in 2019 and required that where the local exchange carrier was a, 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 an access stimulator because it had exceeded the ratios, then the uh, local exchange carrier, rather than the IXE who is bringing this traffic to that terminating local exchange carrier, the local exchange carrier would be financially responsible for the tandem switching charges that were used to bring those calls to the, to the local exchange carrier. That was in 2019. And since that time, the FCC has found uh, primarily there's a wide voice, a decision involved a carrier called wide voice that where there wasn't a terminating local exchange carrier in the mix. Instead, um, there was a tandem providing delivered traffic to an IPES provider or a VoIP provider. The FCC, there were three commissioners today when they were talking about this, this uh, further notice of proposed rulemaking that used the term whack-a-mole because uh, they, the, the commissioners were, were feeling like um, these, these rules get adopted and then another carrier comes along and, and tries to, to create sort of a, an, an end run around the rules. And, and this is another example where the FCC is trying to address a situation where the terminating tandem providers are delivering calls to an IPES provider instead of a local exchange carrier. Now, the FCC is seeking comment, so they haven't actually decided exactly how, how they're going to proceed. Um, they are seeking comment. There are a couple of regulations uh, or scenarios that they're trying to, to address. For example, they, they, they want to know, you know, there are different, different situations if there is a tandem provider that's delivering a call to a local exchange carrier, and that local exchange carrier then delivers the call to an IPES provider, is that a situation that should be prohibited um, or where the, where the access, or I'm sorry, where the access stimulation ratios exceed six to one or uh, three to one, might that be a situation where the IPES provider and the LEC would not be able to receive any compensation, and in fact, neither would be the tandem. Neither would the tandem provider be able to receive compensation from the IXC. One of the other issues is whether the intermediate access provider should do the calculations of whether the traffic exceeds the access stimulation ratios. But then there's a question of whether these the intermediate access providers would know who the customers are 
or how to even do those calculations if they don't have a direct relationship with the end user customers. So, so those are some of the issues that the FCC is going to be seeking comment on. Uh, but it's clear that the FCC is looking to, to plug this hole. Um, they are going to adopt a regulation that, that will apply the access stimulation rules to IPES providers in addition to the local exchange carriers. They're clearly going to sit, uh, have a situation where uh, the intermediate access providers that are using IPES providers as part of their customer base, um, they're going to be more directly impacted under these proposed these proposed rules. And it's clear that that based on the comments during the meeting that the FCC is you know, going to do something and, and they're going to do something uh, relatively quick, I would imagine. So that's the update on the intercarrier compensation issue from this past meeting. And so now I'm going to introduce Mike Dover. Mike is going to talk about the notice of inquiry about uh, seeking comment on ways in which the FCC can assist survivors of domestic violence. Mike, take it away. Thanks, Hank. Uh, today, the commission unanimously adopted a note, the notice of inquiry seeking comments on how the commission's lifeline and affordable connectivity programs can support survivors of domestic and sexual violence and how the commission's existing practices can promote abuse hotlines and telephone numbers to help survivors of domestic and sexual violence. Overall, the notice seeks comments on specifics related to potential modifications to the Lifeline and Affordable Connectivity Program, or ACP, and how the enrollment and eligibility and participation can, can be made more fluid for uh, survivors to access. In addition, the notice seeks comments on how to ensure survivor privacy during the enrollment process and comments with regard to survivor phone and text usage um, and omission of phone logs and text logs from telephone, consumer-facing telephone logs, and how to reduce any potential hesitancy by survivors in contacting hotlines and shelters. And so overall, uh, the, the notice of inquiry, as well as commissioner comments during today's open meeting, highlight the importance of independent phone and broadband connections in helping survivors break away from abusive relationships. The notice seeks comments on how the commission's existing programs can be modified to assist survivors to obtain vital communications to contact help and resources while mitigating survivors' fear that their abusers will be alerted to their attempt to attain, obtain help. The commission's notice of inquiry comes with the backdrop of the proposed Safe Connections Act, which would direct the commission to provide emergency communications support to survivors through either the Lifeline program or the ACP program, and which would allow a survivor qualified under the terms of the proposed act to enter into the low-income program for six months, regardless of whether the typical low-income eligibility requirements are met. The proposed Safe Connections Act would also require the Commission to commence a rulemaking to establish and keep up-to-date databases of hotlines, abuse, and assistance telephone numbers for survivors, and would require providers to omit the telephone numbers contained in that database, from customer-facing customer facing calls and text message logs. 
And it's important to note that the notice of inquiry seeks comments on the commission's existing legal authority to alter eligibility requirements related to Lifeline and the ACP independently of the proposed act. So just a bit of a background with regard to the two programs, the Lifeline and ACP or Affordable Connectivity Program, they help low-income consumers offset the cost of phone and broadband service. And the Lifeline program currently provides monthly up to $9.25 on broadband internet access and $5.25 on voice-supported services for qualifying low-income households with higher amounts for qualifying tribal land residents. And the ACP provides a monthly discount of up to $30 on broadband service for qualifying low-income households with higher amounts for qualifying tribal land residents. In addition, for providers that participate in the, this portion of the program, the ACP provides up to $100 for connected devices to access the broadband connections, uh, such as through laptop and tablets. Now, these programs have been widely adopted across the country. Just a little bit of statistics. As of April 2022, about 6.8 million subscribers participated in Lifeline. And as of June 2022, about 12.2 million subscribers participated in ACP. However, the commission's notice of inquiry seeks to ensure that these programs are fully accessible to survivors of domestic and sexual abuse and details several ways in which the program's enrollment and documentation requirements may cause survivors to be hesitant to sign up and access important uh, abuse hotline resources. As a result, the commission proposes and seeks comments on uh, fairly comprehensive modifications to both the Lifeline and the ACP enrollment and participation uh, criteria to assist survivors while maintaining, while seeking to maintain program integrity. So uh, I'll just run through a few of them. The notice of inquiry contains others. As a threshold matter, the notice seeks comments on how an individual should qualify as a survivor eligible to participate in Lifeline and or the ACP. Uh, and specifically, the notice inquires whether the commission should build on the proposed definition contained in the proposed Safe Connections Act, which would require an individual to provide an affidavit from a medical or healthcare provider or a police court or other official report documenting the survivor's status um, but the comments seek additional considerations if they're appropriate and ask about um, how the process can be made less burdensome for the survivor. With respect to qualifying for Lifeline or the ACP as a survivor, the commission seeks comments on how a survivor can demonstrate financial hardship to enroll in these programs, including whether survivor financial hardship should be a separate eligible qualifying criteria under the program. In addition, the commission asks whether or not documentation presents an issue for survivors of uh, domestic and sexual violence and seeks comments on how to address documentation with regard to applications to income and qualifying program enrollment requirements. 
The commission on this point proposes and seeks comments on whether a certified statement is sufficient to address survivors need to show documentation relating to income or qualifying as low income for these programs while seeking to balance the program's integrity safeguards against waste, fraud, and abuse, and asks whether survivors who enroll in Lifeline should automatically be enrolled in the ACP for a limited time to uh, assist survivors through some of the documentation requirements. The commission also seeks comments on uh, whether or not shelters or assistance programs should play a role in qualifying survivors for the Lifeline or ACP programs, and what are the privacy considerations implicated by permitting these organizations to assist these uh, survivors. With respect to identity and the identity verification portion of Lifeline and ACP, the notice asks what types of protections are required to ensure the privacy of uh, survivors' information and seeks comments on whether or not the commission should permit the use of alias names, temporary or alias addresses, or the use of a combination of the last four of social security number and date of birth or other limited information to protect the survivor's identity. Another proposal in the notice is whether or not the commission should allow an exception to the one benefit per household requirement for survivors uh, to encourage survivors to uh, access resources. With respect to the safe connection, the proposed Safe Connections Act duration, the commission seeks comments on whether or not the proposal of, six, of a six-month timeline is appropriate or whether or not a different timeline would be more appropriate. In addition, the commission inquires how frequently a survivor should be permitted to qualify under the survival rules and whether typical program requirements such as annual verification under the Lifeline or ACP programs should continue and how they should continue to ensure that survivors' privacy is, continues to be protected. In addition, with respect to privacy, uh, the commission notes that currently Lifeline and ACP databases for enrollment only collect personally identifiable information, um, limited certain um, information, and that the access to these databases is limited, but the commission inquires whether additional privacy protections for survivors who enroll in these programs should be put in place. And in fact, questions whether these databases should be used at all or whether or not a separate pathway for enrollment should be permitted for survivors. In addition, uh, the commission asks whether it should require uh, survivors to be advised of the options to block caller ID information to protect their privacy when making calls. The commission with regard to uh, call privacy and calls to hotlines and shelters also inquires generally about what policies the commission should update or modify to protect survivor privacy and promote the use of abuse and shelter household. The notice also seeks comments generally on how commission policies should be updated or modified to protect survivor privacy and promote the use of abuse and shelter hotlines, and specifically whether or not the telephone numbers of abuse and shelter hotlines should be excluded from customer-facing call and text logs. 
In addition, the notice also includes inquiries on what organizations should be qualified as abuse and shelter hotlines for exclusion from those logs and how to define those, and whether or not a central database should be established to uh, maintain all of the relevant telephone numbers related to abuse and shelter hotlines so that providers are aware of which should be uh, excluded from customer-facing logs. In addition to the specific proposals included in the notice, the Commission also seeks comments on any other avenue or ways that the Commission can support survivors consistent with its current legal authority to promote access to independent phone and broadband communications and connections to survivors at their most critical time and need. Um, and comments on this notice uh, are due 30 days after publication. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, appreciate your review of that uh, notice of inquiry. Thanks, Hank. We'll all be joining you shortly again after the next FCC meeting. So uh, if you have questions or just want to discuss these items, please call us. And with that, everyone have a good day. Bye. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.